Chapter Five of Sylvie and Bruno Concluded. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Catherine Eastman. Sylvie and Bruno Concluded by Lewis Carroll. Chapter Five. Matilda Jane. Come to me, my little gentleman said our hostess, lifting Bruno into her lap, and tell me everything. I can't, said Bruno. There wouldn't be time. Besides, I don't know everything. The good woman looked a little puzzled, and turned to Sylvie for help. Does he like riding? she asked. Yes, I think so, Sylvie gently replied. He's just had a ride on Nero. Ah, Nero's a grand dog, isn't he? "'Were you ever outside a horse, my little man?' "'Always,' Bruno said with great decision. "'Never was inside one, was oo?' Here I thought it well to interpose, and to mention the business on which we had come, and so relieved her for a few minutes from Bruno's perplexing questions. "'And those dear children will like a bit of cake, I'll warrant,' said the farmer's hospitable wife, when the business was concluded as she opened her cupboard and brought out a cake. "'And don't you waste the crust, little gentleman,' she added as she handed a good slice of it to Bruno. "'You know what the poetry book says about willful waste.' "'No, I don't,' said Bruno. "'What does he say about it?' "'Tell him, Bessie.' And the mother looked down proudly and lovingly on a rosy little maiden who had just crept shyly into the room and was leaning against her knee. "'What's that your poetry book says about willful waste?' "'For willful waste makes woeful want,' Bessie recited in an almost inaudible whisper. "'And you may live to say how much I wish I had the crust that then I threw away.' "'Now try if you can say it, my dear. For willful—' "'For willful—something or other,' Bruno began readily enough, and then there came a dead pause." can't remember no more well what do you learn from it then you can tell us that at any rate bruno ate a little more cake and considered but the moral did not seem to him to be a very obvious one always too sylvie prompted him in a whisper always too bruno softly repeated and then with sudden inspiration always to look where it goes to where what goes to darlin why the crust of course said bruno then if i lived to say how much i wish i had the crust and all that i'd know where i threw it to this new interpretation quite puzzled the good woman she returned to the subject of bessie wouldn't you like to see bessie's doll my dears bessie take the little lady and gentleman to see matilda jane Bessie's shyness thawed away in a moment. "'Matilda Jane just woke up,' she stated confidentially to Sylvie. "'Won't you help me on with her frock? Them strings is such a bother to tie.' "'I can tie strings,' we heard in Sylvie's gentle voice as the two little girls left the room together. Bruno ignored the whole proceeding and strolled to the window, quite with the air of a fashionable gentleman.' Little girls and dolls were not at all in his line. 
and forthwith the fond mother proceeded to tell me as what mother is not ready to do of all bessie's virtues and vices too for the matter of that and of the many fearful maladies which notwithstanding those ruddy cheeks and that plump little figure at nearly time and again swept her from the face of the earth when the full stream of loving memories had nearly run itself out i began to question her about the workingmen of that neighbourhood and specially the willie whom we had heard of at his cottage he was a good fellow once said my kind hostess but it's the drink has ruined him not that i'd rob them of the drink it's good for the most of them but their some as is too weak to stand agin temptations it's a thousand pities for them as they ever built the golden lion at the corner there the golden lion i repeated it's the new public my hostess explained and it stands right in the way and handy for the workmen as they come back from the brickfields as it might be to-day with their week's wages a deal of money gets wasted that way and some of em gets drunk if only they could have it in their own houses i mused hardly knowing i had said the words out loud that's it she eagerly exclaimed it was evidently a solution of the problem that she had already thought out if only you could manage so's each man to have his own little barrel in his own house there'd hardly be a drunken man in the length and breadth of the land and then i told her the old story about a certain cottager who bought himself a little barrel of beer and installed his wife as barkeeper and how every time he wanted his mug of beer he regularly paid her over the counter for it and how she never would let him go on tick and was a perfectly inflexible barkeeper in never letting him have more than his proper allowance and how every time the barrel needed refilling she had plenty to do it with and something over for her money-box and how at the end of the year he not only found himself in first-rate health and spirits with that undefinable but quite unmistakable air which always distinguishes the sober man from the one who takes a drop too much but had quite a box full of money all saved out of his own pence if only they'd all do like that said the good woman wiping her eyes which were overflowing with kindly sympathy drink hadn't need to be the curse it is to some only a curse i said when it is used wrongly any of god's gifts may be turned into a curse unless we use it wisely but we must be getting home would you call the little girls matilda jane has seen enough of company for one day i'm sure i'll find em in a minute said my hostess as she rose to leave the room maybe that young gentleman saw which way they went where are they bruno i said they ain't in the field was bruno's rather evasive reply cause there's nothing but pigs there and sylvie isn't a pig now don't interrupt me any more cause i'm telling a story to this fly and it won't attend they're among the apples i'll warrant em said the farmer's wife so we left bruno to finish his story and went out into the orchard where we soon came upon the children walking sedately side by side sylvie carrying the doll while little bess carefully shaded its face with a large cabbage leaf for a parasol as soon as they caught sight of us little bess dropped her cabbage leaf and came running to meet us sylvie following more slowly as her precious charge evidently needed great care and attention i'm its mamma and sylvie's the head nurse bessie explained and sylvie's taught me ever such a pretty song for me to sing to matilda jane let's hear it once more sylvie i said 
delighted at getting the chance I had long wished for of hearing her sing. But Sylvie turned shy and frightened in a moment. "'No, please not,' she said in an earnest aside to me. "'Bessie knows it quite perfect now. Bessie can sing it.' "'Aye, aye, let Bessie sing it,' said the proud mother. "'Bessie has a bonny voice of her own.' This again was an aside to me, though I say it as shouldn't. Bessie was only too happy to accept the encore. So the plump little mamma sat down at our feet, with her hideous daughter reclining stiffly across her lap. It was one of a kind that won't sit down under any amount of persuasion. With a face simply beaming with delight, began the lullaby in a shout that ought to have frightened the poor baby into fits. The head nurse crouched down behind her, keeping herself respectfully in the background, with her hands on the shoulders of her little mistress, so as to be ready to act as prompter, if required, and to supply each gap in faithless memory void. The shout with which she began proved to be only a momentary effort. After a very few notes, Bessie toned down, and sang on in a small but very sweet voice. At first her great black eyes were fixed on her mother, but soon her gaze wandered upwards among the apples, and she seemed to have quite forgotten that she had any other audience than her baby, and her head-nurse, who once or twice supplied, almost inaudibly, the right note when the singer was getting a little flat. "'Matilda Jane, you never look at any toy or picture-book.' i show you pretty things in vain you must be blind matilda jane i ask you riddles tell you tales but all our conversation fails you never answer me again i fear you're dumb matilda jane Matilda, darling, when I call, you never seem to hear at all. I shout with all my might and main, but you're so deaf, Matilda Jane. Matilda Jane, you needn't mind, for though you're deaf and dumb and blind, there's someone loves you, it is plain, and that is me, Matilda Jane. She sang three of the verses in a rather perfunctory style, but the last stanza evidently excited the little maiden. Her voice rose ever clearer and louder. She had a rapt look on her face, as if suddenly inspired and as she sang the last few words she clasped to her heart the inattentive matilda jane kiss it now prompted the head nurse and in a moment the simpering meaningless face of the baby was covered with a shower of passionate kisses what a bonny song cried the farmer's wife who made the words dearie i-i think i'll look for bruno sylvie said demurely and left us hastily. The curious child seemed always afraid of being praised or even noticed. "'Sylvie planned the words,' Bessie informed us, proud of her superior information, "'and Bruno planned the music, and I sang it.' 
this last circumstance by the way we did not need to be told so we followed sylvie and all entered the parlour together bruno was still standing at the window with his elbows on the sill he had apparently finished the story that he was telling to the fly and had found a new occupation don't interrupt he said as we came in i'm counting the pigs in the field how many are there i inquired about a thousand and four said bruno you mean about a thousand sylvie corrected him there's no good saying and four you can't be sure about the four and you're as wrong as ever bruno exclaimed triumphantly it's just the four i can be sure about cause they're here grubbling under the window it's the thousand i isn't perfectly sure about but some of them have gone into the sty sylvie said leaning over him to look out of the window yes said bruno but they went so slowly and so fewly i didn't care to count them we must be going children i said wish bessie good-bye sylvie flung her arms round the little maiden's neck and kissed her but bruno stood aloof looking unusually shy i never kiss nobody but sylvie he explained to me afterwards the farmer's wife showed us out and we were soon on our way back to elveston and that's the new public-house that we were talking about i suppose i said as we came in sight of a long low building with the words the golden lion over the door yes that's it said sylvie i wonder if her willie's inside run in bruno and see if he's there i interposed feeling that bruno was in a sort of way in my care that's not a place to send a child into for already the revellers were getting noisy and a wild discord of singing shouting and meaningless laughter came to us through the open windows they won't see him you know sylvie explained wait a minute bruno she clasped the jewel that always hung round her neck between the palms of her hands and muttered a few words to herself what they were i could not at all make out but some mysterious change seemed instantly to pass over us my feet seemed to me no longer to press the ground and the dream-like feeling came upon me that i was suddenly endowed with the power of floating in the air i could still just see the children but their forms were shadowy and unsubstantial and their voices sounded as if they came from some distant place and time they were so unreal however i offered no further opposition to bruno's going into the house he was back again in a few moments no he isn't come yet he said they're talking about him inside and saying how drunk he was last week while he was speaking one of the men lounged out through the door a pipe in one hand and a mug of beer in the other and crossed to where we were standing so as to get a better view along the road two or three others leaned out through the open window each holding his mug of beer with red faces and sleepy eyes canst see him lad one of them asked i do not know the man said taking a step forwards which brought us nearly face to face sylvie hastily pulled me out of his way thanks child i said i had forgotten he couldn't see us what would have happened if i had stayed in his way i don't know sylvie said gravely it wouldn't matter to us 
but you may be different. She said this in her usual voice, but the man took no sort of notice, though she was standing close in front of him, and looking up into his face as she spoke. "'He's coming now,' cried Bruno, pointing down the road. "'He be a woman, no,' echoed the man, stretching out his arm exactly over Bruno's head, and pointing with his pipe. "'Then chorus again,' was shouted out by one of the red-faced men in the window, and forthwith a dozen voices yelled to a harsh, discordant melody the refrain. "'There's him and you and me, roaring laddies, we loves a bit of spree. Roaring laddies, we roaring laddies, roaring laddies.' The man lounged back again to the house, joining lustily in the chorus as he went, so that only the children and I were in the road when Willie came up. End of chapter 5